it's funny. I was uh, talking with the worship team before the church about how when I come here, there's always a sense in which the sermon text that Chris has given me is always very closely aligned with what's going on in the life of the church. And it's also very closely aligned with what the worship team is doing. And so as I was sitting here today listening to all the notices, all the life of the church that's kicking off on the one hand, the busyness of the year, the fruitfulness that's coming. And then I was also listening to the call for God to come and to renew us. I thought, isn't it great that we're speaking on the Psalms and studying the Psalms this year? Because the Psalms are what are going to help us move from the call to grow close to God and one another into that busyness. We're not going to be able to handle the busyness of next year without the Psalms. Because the Psalms are the primary way by which God speaks to us, helps us pray, helps us worship Him during the week so that we can love Him and love others as ourselves. So that's why I've got this image of the Psalms here for us. Psalms help us pray so that we can grow in our love for God and for others. How does this work? Well, we prayed that Jesus would be among us, that he would send his spirit today. And what does Jesus call us to do? Jesus calls us to a whole person love for God and for our neighbours. See what it says on the slide. Jesus says, you shall love the God your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. We pray that Jesus would be among us today and that he would minister amongst us today. And what he is wanting to do, he is wanting to heal us, to renew us, and to give us skills and support so that we might love God with our heart, with our passions, our desires, so that we might love God from our soul, from that sense of safety with God. Jesus wants us to be able to love God with our strength. He is the renewer. And Jesus wants us to love him with our mind, our focus, our attitude. Only then will we bear fruit. So what I'd like to go through today is I'm going to talk mainly about Psalms 1 and 2 because they kick off the book of the Psalms. And as we go, my main point is going to be that God gives us the Psalms to help us pray so that we can love him with our heart, soul, strength and mind. That's what we're doing today. But first, I'd like you all to stand up to give you all a break. You've been sitting for a while. There you go. Stand up. Shake it around. Cool. Have a seat. That's really good. A, a stiff audience is an audience that struggles to hear God's word. Okay, so um, if we could go together to Psalm 131. So let's open up Psalm 131 together. And what we're going to see in Psalm 131 is an example of what it might look like to love God with our heart, soul, strength and mind. So this is to remind us of the role of the Psalms. The psalmist prays, and by the way, I get my students at Ridley College to pray this at the beginning of every semester. 
My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have calmed and quietened myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. This is the foundational image that the Psalms gives us of the Christian with God. It's the beginning point for prayer. The psalmist in verse 1 says that the life of prayer, this is a psalm, the life of prayer isn't for people that are distracted with conceptual, metaphysical, strange things. Not at all. The life of prayer is not something for the proud. It's for children. It's for the humble. It's okay to pray. You're not doing something weird. You're not concerning yourself with matters that are too wonderful for you. I was a pastor in Campbell and we had um, a wave of Buddhists become Christians in our church. It was amazing. And a number of them thought, no, no, no. No, like God is great. He's amazing. He saves. He renews. He's taking us to heaven. So God was far away and removed. So the idea of prayer was like, eh, not sure, a bit too comfortable. But what the psalm is saying, no, 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 it's not something that's too wonderful for you. It's entirely normal. What kind of normal? It's as normal as a confident kid resting in the arms of a loving mum. That's how normal praying is. It should be natural to us. So then here we have the image. Verse 2, Psalm 131. I have calmed... I've quieted myself. I'm like a weaned child with its mother. A weaned child is a child that's no longer breastfeeding. It's no longer sucking on the mum. A weaned child has the experience of having been cared for by their mum. A weaned child has a strong sense of attachment. They know that the mum is trustworthy. They know that their mum has held them. And I know there's a bunch of school teachers and people in psychology and social work in the room here. And we all know that kids with a healthy attachment to a parent figure are more confident to explore the world because they feel safe. So you're going to grow as a child of God when you have this sense of confidence. When your soul is quietened in God. When your heart is focused on God. When you know that your strength comes from God, the great parent. When your mind is focused on him. We are people who are called to trust God and to pray as a normal part of healthy growth in God. If you're going to be part of everything that FGA is doing today and this year, we need to grow in that confidence with God. So what we see is going on is that there's a trusting love 
There's a trusting love between you and God, where you trust God, and that's the foundation of prayer. So what I'm going to do today is talk about how the Psalms might help us grow in that relationship. Because for some people, prayer comes sort of automatic. It's amazing. For others, it's a learnt skill. And I think for most Christians, like any other skill, it takes time to learn how to pray the Psalms. So how do the Psalms help us love God? I want to go through three things. The first one is that praying the Psalms isn't like an app. It's not an extra thing that you add onto the iPhone of your life. Praying the Psalms is part of a whole lifestyle within loving God with your heart, soul, strength and mind. The Psalms fit into a whole lifestyle. I'm going to make that point. Secondly, I'm going to make the very important point that the Psalms only make sense when we understand them with Jesus in mind. That's the second point. And the third point is that the Psalms give us room to deal with the really hard things in life. Life is hard, and as much as we try to put on the, hey, how's your new year, everything's great, everyone's healthy, life is actually really hard. And we are all given one trustworthy person, Jesus Christ, a human being who can empathise with us, As it says in the book of Hebrews, he struggled, he suffered, he knows what it's like to be human. And God gives us Jesus Christ as the one trustworthy person with whom we can be in prayer as we're praying to God the Father in the power of the Holy Spirit. We have this one secure attachment in which we can deal with the really hard things in life. And we're going to look at Psalm 6 when we do that. So today, Psalm 1, to think about a lifestyle of prayer. Psalm 2, we need to read the Psalms, Understanding Jesus. And Psalm 6, we need to allow there to be room for the hard things with God. So let's go to the first point. I'd like us all to go to Psalm 1 together. So on your devices or your Bibles, let's open Psalm 1 together. The book of the Psalms, you would think it would kick off with praise be God, the one who rescues us, the one who saves us. You'd think that would be the way it would kick off if it gave you kind of an example of how to pray, like Psalm 131. But it doesn't. God is a really good teacher. These are God's words that he has inspired and he catches you by surprise. He goes, wait, mate, before you get praying, I want you to think about your whole life. This is what Psalm 1 says. It's really interesting. He says, blessed is the one. So blessed means approved of, endorsed by God, empowered by God. Happy is the one. Happy is the one and endorsed by God is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked. And the word there is the ungodly, those who don't believe in God. Happy is the one who does not walk with the ungodly Or stand in the way that sinners take. Or sit in the company of mockers. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water. 
which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They're like chaff, which blows away. Therefore the wicked, the ungodly, will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. But the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, the ones that are in right relationship with God and others. But the way of the ungodly leads to destruction. So the book of Psalms begins with wisdom, with helping us think about where do Psalms belong in a total lifestyle where you love God with your heart, soul, strength and mind. And what God is saying to us today is that who we allow ourselves to be influenced by makes a huge difference. I'll give you an example. So um, I write books, I work full time, I go to the gym, I do lots of stuff. The way that someone like me falls into the company of the ungodly is that I get sucked into hyperwork and performance culture, right? And I find myself waking up at 5 a.m., putting on a podcast, the 5 a.m. club, drive into the city, work out with all my high-performance buddies, go to work, like, already tired, grind through work, come home, do stuff at home, be with the family, stay up late and write books. That's a very ungodly pattern of life. That's about me and my performance and doing it my way. And when I'm in that mode, I am locked in. I've got my blinkers on. And if you're struggling here, I'm not there for you. That is what it looks like to walk in step with the ungodly. That's not a life that has loving God with all your heart, soul, strength and mind at the centre. It doesn't have loving others as yourself as the centre. Has me at the centre. I am the focus. And notice what happens. In verse 1, we're warned not to walk in step with the ungodly. Verse 2, don't stand in the way that sinners take. Uh, Sorry, uh, verse 1, line 2. Line 3, do not sit in the company of the mockers, those who say there's no God. Because there's a process here. You, You begin getting distracted away from God and loving others. You're walking. And then, you know, you fall into patterns where you're all about yourself and not loving others and God. And suddenly, you're standing in the way of sinners. You're not walking past ungodly. Hmm, you're stopped. Listening to the podcast. Reading all the mags. Trying to grow in wealth. Reading Harvard Business Review rather than reading the Bible. And then you've sat. You've sat down you've joined in the conversation. That's a downward spiral. Okay? The Psalms are very realistic. The Psalms are given to us to break the downward spiral. The Psalms are given to us to help us love God. See verse 2, that's the change. If you want to avoid being ungodly in practice, 
there's a delight that comes in reading the law of the Lord, his instruction, including the Psalms. Blessed are those who meditate on his instructions, including the Psalms, day and night. You know, if you audiobook it, there's no shame. I audiobook the Bible. It's okay. You don't have to read it, but you're meditating on it day and night. Let's just clear away the shame with that. Well, but that's hard, you know. How do you go from, you know, not really reading the Bible to actually delighting, to wanting to read the Psalms? We sang together, come Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit would be like water flowing through us and renewing us. And that's the image we have here. The person who delights and who meditates in the law is like a person already planted by streams of water. God himself will help you. He is the source of that delight. So our prayer needs to be, God, give me what you would like us to delight in. Help me to love the things that you love. Reorder me, rewire me as an image of yourself, someone who loves the things that you love. I'm not asking you all to, rather than belong to the 5am high performance club, belong to a Christian high performance club. I'm not doing that. What I'm saying is lean into God, ask him for help. Loving God with all your strength is like the child who relies on the strength of the parent. That's why Jesus says, blessed are the humble in heart. They're the ones who lean into God. So let's lean into God. He is the one who will help us bear fruit in good season. It's very interesting. Jesus says to his disciples, to love God with everything you have and love your neighbour as yourself. And you know what the next story is? It's the Good Samaritan. The expectation is, and my experience in life is, when we are able to show God's love to others, those are those times when it's more likely that God is going to bring someone in need across your life. Because you are more able to show the face, the love of God, the holiness of God, the rightness of God to that person who's suffering. How does that make sense? Well, let's, let's look at this very important verse, verse 6. The Lord watches over the way of the righteous. What's happening is we're delighting in the law of the Lord. We're growing by the power of the Spirit. Then you're going to be righteous. That means you're going to be in a right relationship with someone. I just spoke about people in need, the vulnerable. The great problem that we've had in churches in Australia, we've had predators abusive people, seeing the vulnerable and taking advantage of them. What we need are righteous people, healthy youth group leaders, healthy young adult leaders, healthy Sunday school leaders, people that are righteous, that can care for those in need without taking advantage of them. But you know what? We are only going to be healthy for others when we're not insecure because our hearts are focused on God, our soul rests in Him, our strength comes from God and our mind is focused on Him. 
the healthiest Christian leaders I know are humble ones who are settled in God. They don't have to prove anything to anyone. They can be led by God because their hearts are focused on Him. They're safe on God. Their strength comes from God and they know it. And their mind is focused on God and others. That's why the righteousness bit matters. In fact, the, the Psalms are very ethical. They promote a healthy ethics, how we care for one another. So I hope you can see that Psalm 1 frames the use of the Psalms by saying, we need a whole lifestyle dedicated to God and others. And when that's the case, you're going to delight in God in reading the Psalms and you're going to delight in the good things that you will do. It's awesome. It's great. Okay. Well, now let's think about why it's important to read the Psalms with an eye to Jesus. It's very interesting that the Psalms, put together like 800 years before Jesus, Psalm 1, it says, love God with a lifestyle. But look at Psalm 2. It's really surprising. In the way that Psalm 1 offers you a lifestyle, what Psalm 2 does is it says, pay attention to God's King. Pay attention to Jesus. Psalm 2. And remember, we're framing how the Psalms are to be read. Psalm 2 says, why do the nations conspire? And the peoples plot in vain. The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break off their chains, throw off the shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. He laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger. I have installed my king on Zion, on my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, God said to the king, you are my son, today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with an iron rod. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss the son or he will be angry and your way will lead you to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. This was written 800 years before Jesus. Jesus, whose resurrection from death to life and his ascension to the right hand of the Father shows us that Jesus is this Son. You are my Son. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance. That's why we can pray big prayers to Jesus. Because Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. He is alive. And as it says in Acts Book two, he is the one who sends his spirit into his people. The Christians brought down the Roman Empire in 300 years without war. This king that rules, Jesus that rules, 
is the king that we need to have in focus as we read the Psalms. Let me give you two good reasons why. The first one is that you could be like this person. Me calling God to make sure I'm registered for the fun and successful package and not the trials and tribulation package for 2024. We're all like that. There's an issue with the Psalms. If you read Psalm 20, it says, May the Lord give you the desire of your heart. We all have different desires in our hearts. And for most of us, they're mixed. They might be selfish. But the problem is, what happens when you don't get those desires of your heart? What happens when you're sick, when your relationships don't work out, when you don't have the wealth that you wanted maybe? Are you then going to be angry at God and say, God isn't good? Why the resurrection matters and why the king matters is that no matter what's going on in your life, the king has been enthroned, eternal life is promised to you, and eternal flourishing is promised to you. So what the Psalms do is they protect us from wish fulfilment, from using God as an ATM. That's a problem a lot of us have. And as soon as the ATM isn't working the way I don't want it, God isn't good anymore, I'm walking away. The fact is, Jesus was raised from the dead. I love this um, quote from The Chosen. Uh, It's a great DVD and Netflix series on the life of Jesus, if you want to watch it. I found it very helpful. Mary says, I was one way, now I'm completely different. And the thing that happened in between was him. I'm hoping that when we read the Psalms, we read in light of our stories impacted by Jesus as well. Yes, it is true. I write history books. I edit handbooks of history. I am a historian. I believe that there are great historical reasons for believing that Jesus was raised from the dead. But I've also got personal reasons for praising Jesus. And when we read the Psalms and we read God's goodness, God's kindness, we need to have Jesus in mind. What's Jesus done in our hearts? How has he changed us? to be humble, to be peacemakers, to be people that grieve over really bad things. Jesus has an impact on us. So as we pray, we're not praying to a distant God. We're praying to a real Jesus who is at work today. It's a real faith. And I want to take you to one more very important point to do with Jesus. Let's go to Psalm 16 together. Psalm 16 is one of the most important psalms to Jesus' followers. Did you know that? Psalm 110 and Psalm 116, the most important psalms to the early Christians. Let's have a look together. Verse 4. Those who run after gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. The psalmist is focused. You alone, God, right? That's his desire. The desire of my heart is God. You make my lot secure. The psalmist is focused on God in their heart, but also their soul, right? See how this is working? 
the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I will keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will rest secure. Why? Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful see decay. You have made known to me the path of life, and you fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Now, if we stopped this psalm before verse 10, we could say, well, the the psalmist is just praying for good things like a good job, good boundary lines, good relationships for health. And the danger there is that you're just projecting onto God what you want. So what this psalm does in conversation with Psalm 2, beginning in verse 10, is that we remember that Jesus was not abandoned to the dead. God is the God of promise to his faithful ones. You will not let your faithful ones see decay. You will not rot. You make known to me the path of life and you fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. What the Psalms equip us to do are to trust God now because we know that the resurrection has happened. We're not just projecting our wishes on a sky daddy. We will be led on a path of life here. Remember Psalm 1. Blessed are those who delight in God. They remain like a tree, nourished, grown by God, by living water. They will yield fruit. That is the path of life. The path of life has a goal, to delight with God forevermore. But on the way, you bear fruit for others. This is what loving God with all you have and loving others as yourself looks like. So again and again, the Psalms are calling us to live a lifestyle focused on God and others. But it has Jesus in the middle. Jesus is the focus. It's a real faith. It's a faith that's impacted us and it offers us real hope now and in the future. Real hope now because he's renewing us by his spirit. Real hope in the future because we will sit with him and delight in his presence forever. I'm going to finish now with Psalm 6. Because not only do the Psalms provide us with a lifestyle within which to understand them, Jesus as the focus, but they help us have really difficult conversations. Look, I've been a pastor before. I'm also involved in our student services at Ridley. And in both those jobs, a lot of what I've had to do is to bring people together, good people, who've had a conflict, they want to sort it out, but they don't know how, and they just need someone who's going to be fair, someone who's going to offer some skills. The Psalms are a bit like that. We want to love God, and God loves us, but sometimes we feel far away from him, and we need someone to help us 
start to talk about God, about how we really feel. Let's look at Psalm 6. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Have mercy on me, Lord. I am faint. Heal me, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from this grave? I am worn out from my longing and my groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. The psalmist is being really honest with God. There's been some kind of a break in the relationship and they're afraid that God's angry at them. This causes them great pain because they're tuned into God. They're experiencing anguish and it lasts for a while. How long, oh God? You know, these psalms aren't written like in a day. They can be written over a period of time. They're waiting for God. Save me because of your unfailing love. Like, Lord, I know you love me. Please save me. Please live up to what I thought our love was like. You know, I uh, and some other friends of mine, we've gone to these marriage refreshment courses. Like Alpha runs these courses where like you help to become a Christian and then they also run courses that refresh your marriage. And in a marriage refreshment course, it's similar. You get the couple together They want to love one another in good faith and you help them be refreshed in that love. The psalm is calling God, refresh me in my love, even though my life is really, really difficult. This is super important to understand. Psalms are not just about thanking God and praising God when life is easy. They do encourage that. I've been at Apollo Bay Uh, The last two weeks, writing a book, like pretty idyllic. And it's easy for me during that time to walk by the beach and say, yes, Lord, the heavens declare how mighty is your name, because things are going great. But I've been in a hole too. And I've been given permission by the Psalms to pray these prayers. How long, Lord, when will you deliver This is a real relationship with an interpersonal God. And I think perhaps this is where many of us struggle. Maybe we lived in families where where they didn't fight. They didn't even talk about conflicts. It was buried. So we don't even have the skills, the language to say, sometimes when this happens, I feel this way, rather than you always, you know. You need to learn the skills of handling difficulty. The Psalms give us the skills to handle difficulty with God. God has given you this language because he wants your interpersonal relationship with him to work. God is the ideal partner. He wants it to work out. He's not looking to get out of his relationship with us. So my hope is this year, as we're doing the Psalms together, we grow in our ability to pray. And as we pray we grow in our loves towards God and others. So 
This is where I'll finish. Psalms are prayers for fully loving God. They help us to love God with our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. May God bless us this year as we pray vitally to God, grow in prayer, and therefore grow in love and service. Amen.